Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. We are back for week two in another installment of Inside Football here with Rick Venturi. Thanks for coming back. I'm Matt Taylor. And, of course, the Colts trying to move on from their first tie since moving to Indianapolis in 1984. The Colts and Texans played to a draw in week one, 20-20. And we're going to break that down and also move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars coming up in week number two. This weekend in Northern Florida with Rick Venturi, who has nearly 30 years on the sidelines as a coach. RV, welcome back. And I guess after breaking down the film a few days later, do you feel better or do you feel worse about the Colts tying the Texans compared to that feeling you had immediately after the draw on Sunday? Well, I probably feel better as the week went on because I think with the exception of missing the kick, we actually ended it on a really good note, and for um, you know, and for 25 minutes at the end of the game, uh, inclusive of the 10-minute overtime. I mean, I thought we played like we can play. I mean, we looked like the team that we expected, and we basically won that phase of the game 17 to nothing. So, I, I guess in the end, it, it, it ended better in terms of execution. You always talk about execution and there was a you know the first 35 minutes of the game or 45 minutes of the game it was just we didn't execute we didn't do simple things well it was so disappointing but we did finish on a much higher note if you just evaluate uh execution i will tell you this it's just as a sidebar you know i'm always very conservative in terms of changing the game and changing rules and changing overtime rules and doing this but I'm not sure at the end of the day you, you shouldn't play until it's over, until there is a victor. I, really? Honest to God. Really? It, it, I, I didn't think I would say that. But first of all, ties you know ties after the 10 minutes are so rare. I mean, the last one, my God, I was a rookie coach in the NFL in 1982. That's 40 years ago. So it doesn't happen that much. It's not like you're going to wear guys out until the end. And I, I don't know necessarily maybe there would be – an alteration after the 10 minutes, maybe it got more like high school or college. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, really and truly, I think that you – I think there ought to be an outcome at the end of the game, a win or loss. Well, that's certainly been changed for the playoffs. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. obviously you have to have a winner in the playoffs, but in terms of the format, that overtime format has been changed for the postseason. But kind of like the fact that there is a tie. I mean, think about all the things that – I mean, the, the ties are so rare – Think about all the things that have to happen in order for a game to be tied. That's that's kind of why I like the fact that if no one's up to the task to win a game outright in regulation and overtime, from a player safety standpoint, 70 minutes to me, that's plenty considering now we're playing 17 games in the regular season. Matt, we give them the ball twice on their 40. Right, right. To start that's what I'm saying. And they can't score. Right, and the Colts you know, and, miss a 42-yard field goal, right? Credit to our defense, you know, credit to the defense that – we didn't make it, and then we, we, we miss a chip shot. I just, I just feel like, you know, 
if if it's good enough for the playoffs at some point, you know, <laughs> I, I just think it's so rare. It's not going to happen that much. Let's play it on out. But what the hell? Let's get into this Jacksonville. <laughs> no question. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so much to build on from this game, Rick. Let's start on offense, then we'll go to defense. But when the Colts had the ball, they still did some things well. I mean, a lot of things well. 33 first downs, most as a franchise since 2007. 517 yards of offense. That leads the NFL through one game. Matt Ryan, a 300-yard passer. Jonathan Taylor ran for a buck 60. Michael Pittman Jr., over 100 yards in receiving. Naeem Hines was a matchup problem for the Texans in week one. Tell me the good and the not-so-good from Houston on offense from the first game. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, it was a really a big day offensively if you look at it statistically. The 33 first downs, 517 yards, and that's 340 passing and 177. When do you not win a game, you know, when you have that much yardage? It's mm-hmm. just absolutely incredible. And one thing I did like, one thing that we've been poor at, one thing that really reversed itself Sunday was fourth quarter dominance. We've been just the opposite on that. So, you know, I, I like that part of it. You, you, you chronicled in a way, I mean, JT was sensational again. He just, he just stacks games on top of games. I mean, there's no, there's no fluke in his play. He's a guy that, you know, you give him the ball and he puts your team on his back. You know, Pittman just continues to grow into that top-tier receiver in the NFL. He, he's improved as much as anybody that I've seen around here in a long time. Uh, we did find good ways to use Hines. You saw, you saw the matchup problem that he gives people. I mean, he was able to make critical one-on-one, beating people one-on-one, and making critical catches you know, late in the game. And I actually thought, and this is just me, I actually thought our offensive line was fairly solid. I mean, we didn't get the 520, 17 yards by accident. And really, there was only one true sack. The one sack was a bootleg rundown, um, you know, which was just a good play by Jerry Hughes. But there was really only one legitimate sack in the game. And, you know, you have 50 throws. So, I mean, that that's not all that bad. I thought we blocked the run pretty well. I thought our tight ends did fine. I thought they blocked well within the running game scheme. They weren't featured much in the passing game. They did what they were asked. But, you know, I thought those obviously were the good things. You know, the bad things, you know, you know, all with the exception of the place kick, the bad things offensively just all happened in that first part of it. We just can't. You can't have three botched snaps. I mean, and you're talking about one pro bowler to another pro bowler. I mean, that's just I, – I, that's like you don't see it in sixth-grade football. That's no. just absolutely And it didn't incredible. happen during training camp either, so no, that was the anomaly. No, that's the execution you're talking about, whether it's tightness at the game, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, two turnovers – you know, one good play by Jerry Hughes, second one unforced air on the snap. You know, uh, we talked about this. This got us in trouble early, lack of finishes. Um, you know, we, we had several opportunities inside their 40, uh, didn't finish with scores, it, two for five at the end of the day on the red zone. I mean, you know, we can't drop passes. I mean, if you catch either one of the if, – if, if, if Pierce catches a layup there, if, uh, if Doolin catches the ball late – um, you know, the, the game's over. I mean, you just have to make two routine plays, and it's over. Um, the fourth and two, and I've talked to Frank about this. I, I was for going for it. You know, you can, you can dice that up any way you want to. Um, I felt like he, I think I felt like he did, that if we got the seven there and put him down 10 nothing, that they would probably fold emotionally. But I, just, I t- 
totally did not like the play call. I don't like finesse Wildcat in a critical situation. If you want to use it fourth, you know, first in goal uh, as a changeup, something to confuse them, I'm fine with that. But on fourth and two, my thinking is players over plays. Get your either your best, whatever your best play is to Taylor or whatever your best play is to Pittman, uh, you know, and basically run it. And then I would say that the, you know, the final thing I don't think was necessarily a problem in this game, but I, I think it could be a problem is we do, we are going to have to diversify the offense. Some, there's some, some guys have to, you know, have to be featured at some point. You know, I'd like to see Paris Campbell play more, way more over Doolin. And, you know, if Pierce isn't quite ready, which I know that was an anomaly, he never dropped the balls in preseason. But if he's nervous, if he's not ready, get Strawn in there. Strawn, it's not too big for Strawn. He goes in there and does whatever we ask. So, you know, it was a tale of two cities, first 45 minutes, yeah. just like you said, all about bad execution. We execute the last 25 and dominate the game. All right, on defense, same kind of thing. He's kind of started yeah. off good, then slow, then good again. They gave up some yards and points in the middle quarters, but exceptional in the fourth quarter and in overtime, especially after special teams kept putting the defense in a bad spot. Quiddy Pay had two sacks in overtime, his first career multi-sack game. EJ Speed had his first career sack, induced a fumble, strip sack, picked up by DeForest Buckner. Zaire Franklin played really tough, led the Colts in tackles with eight. Um, they held the ground game in check from Houston, giving up only about 77 yards. So your pluses and minuses from the defense in Gus Bradley's debut with the Colts. Yeah, from the you know from that point that Hack makes the uh, Hawk makes the great punt down to the one that Stewart goes down and downs. From that point on, I think that was six minutes to go in the third quarter. You know, from that time to the end of the overtime, it was shut down defense. And there were, you know, a lot of tough situations. As I said, you know, the ball started at their 40, near their 40, three times in that period that, you know, basically was a sudden death period and the defense held. Um, you know, I thought, you know, obviously it was great to see Quiddy come on late we we didn't have much pressure during the game, but at the end there when we needed it, it was really good to see him win the one-on-ones, and he did win the one-on-ones basically with Howard to get it. I thought Speed's overall play and then the strip sack was outstanding. You said it. Franklin, I think, is playing really tough there in the middle. Gilmore is really, really playing up to his reputation, and I really like the fact that there were a lot of periods in that game, particularly on the man coverages, where we flopped him and, and basically we matched him to to Cook's side. I think that's going to be really important to put him on the go-to guy as we get going forward. Stewart is really good, <clears throat> and I can't. I always say I can't say enough about his play. But his third and one stop there at the end before Lovey punted on fourth down really was a great play and is an even better play when I watch it on tape because when they run the little zone play to their right. They actually have it blocked. They're easily going to get a yard, easily. And Stewart comes around the center. We call it a swim technique. Comes around the center, center's left side, and cuts it over to his left and makes that stop actually for a yard loss or a little bit of a loss, and that's when Lovey decided not to give the game up and punted. But it would have been a moot point if Stewart doesn't make that great play because they're going to be first down right there with a whole new set of downs to go. I thought Cross had a very good start um, in his opener. 
and the overall run defense, 77 yards. you got to like that. So, again, from six minutes uh, to go in the third quarter to the end of the overtime, it was shut down defense. All right, 0-0-1 for the Colts after week one. So let's head to the Jaguars. They're up next in week number two. Let's turn the page and talk about it because it's back-to-back AFC South road games for the Colts to start the season. The Jaguars lost to the Commanders last week 28-22. to And for what it's worth, Rick, the Jags have lost 17 straight games to NFC teams and 18 straight games on the road. Now, I know Sunday will be neither. It's an AFC South game for the Colts and Jaguars, and it's a home game for Jacksonville. But they were 3-14 and last season, finished last in the AFC South, and with the worst record in football, and they still split the season series last year with the Colts. The home team won every game. We know about uh, Week 18. We know about the fact that the Colts have not uh, topped the Jaguars on the road since 2014. They've got a new head coach in Doug Peterson. He won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator on that team. Trevor Lawrence is back for year number two, and they've really bolstered the team around him. They've added Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, tight end Evan Ingram, cornerback Darius Williams, right guard Brandon Scherf, linebackers Foyer, Olacone, Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick, Devin Lloyd, all of those guys, Rick, make this team significantly better. So what else stands out to you about the Jaguars heading into a pivotal week two as we take a look at them on the big picture? Well, I think the two things that you have to concern yourself with if you're coaching the game is, first of all, you know, you've chronicled all the acquisitions they've made. And they have, uh, they to me, they have more potential game-changing players than the Texans do. The Texans play yep. very well collectively. Mm-hmm. They got a great three-quarters out of their quarterback. Um, but I think the Jaguars have more guys between the offense and the defense than can affect the game. Um, they're going to be improved because of those acquisitions and I think because of the maturity of the quarterback. Now, maybe even most importantly, which you could put number one, it's basically hiring a real professional football coach. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You bring in, uh, you, you bring in uh, Doug Peterson, who basically has won a Super Bowl. I, I think his record is something around 46 and 40, but he brings a real professional uh, into, into to- what was total dysfunction. There's no question about that. So I see a vastly improved team. The commander's game was theirs to be had. They had them 22 to 14, and basically the commanders pulled it out. They threw a hope to hell at the end. Dotson makes a phenomenal catch at the very end, and they lose the ball game. But basically, they, it was their game to win. I think number two is history is history. It, it, it means something. In the last four games, you know, they've won two of them, even though they haven't beat hardly anyone else. They beat the Colts twice, and in both cases, they dominated the game. In the first game last year, we were one play away from losing that game. So we have really struggled with the matchup with this team. So I I, I don't, you know, I I think it's a very, I won't say dangerous game. I think we got to quit talking that way. I think what it is is another big NFL game that we've struggled in and we've struggled down there. So, you know, we really have to have our A game. We've got to clean up a lot of things that, you know, weren't there 
but this is a this is just a much much better team than I think than they were last year. I think they'll win significantly more games. No question about that. I, I said they're deceptively loaded on offense, and that's what mm-hmm. we're going to talk about right now. Let's break out the blueprints and uh, begin with the Jags when they have the ball. But they had the worst offense last year in the NFL, scoring under 15 points per game. They weren't spectacular in running or throwing the ball. 28th on third down, 29th in red zone, so not very good on in situational football. The offense didn't do the defense many favors throughout the season because they went three and out 26% of the time. That was 31st. The defense was on the field for about 33 minutes per game. However, this offseason, they've added Press Taylor. He's the offensive coordinator. He was on the Colts' offensive coaching staff last year. Zay Jones through free agency, Christian Kirk, massive deal in free agency, Evan Ingram as a tight end, James Robinson is back after finishing last year on IR with a torn Achilles, and then Travis Etienne missed all of last season as a rookie with a Liz Frank injury. He's back. He's sort of like their version of Naeem Hines as a pass catcher and a runner. So give us your must on defense for the Colts to take advantage of the Jaguars in this game, Rick. Yeah, I think that I think you're exactly right. I think what's kind of hidden here is they're getting two impressive players back, uh, you know, that were there and that were both injured a year ago. I mean, there's no question that Robinson is a very, very good back. This is, I think, the only kid ever to be an undrafted free agent to gain a thousand yards. Yep. I mean, remember he had a thousand yards gained. 1,000-yard season in 220, and then missed the majority of last season. Etienne missed the whole season, and it gives them two complementary backs. Robinson is a real slasher. He's really he – can, he can bang it up in there. But we learned in that first game in 2020, he is dangerous to bounce to the outside. He's got great vision. He's short. He's compact. But he sees the gaps. He can bounce it. And Etienne is very much like Hines. He's a space player. Um, They're going to run him on more perimeter stuff, screens, things that create space with him because he is a home run hitter if he gets it out there. So, you know, just by addition from their own team, they've really improved their running back situation, you know, tenfold. Now, in terms of receiver, you're exactly right. You know, they're – their go-to guy, and I think he's still the go-to guy, but their go-to guy a year ago was Marvin Jones, who's been around a long time. Marvin had 73 catches a year ago. Now, they went out and they got Christian Kirk. Remember now, and people criticize the deal, but Christian had 77 catches a year ago, and then they had Zay Jones, who had 47 catches. And so, he had a really big game against the Colts last year with the Raiders. Zay Jones, that is. Big game, absolutely. And so – you know, when you when you add all that up, I, I think I did it. It's it's three guys with 197 catches, uh, uh, 3,300 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So you know they they've made strides there. Ingram is a very good athlete. You know they've tried to fix the offensive line. They paid Scherf at right guard quite a bit of money. They drafted Fortner really high at center. And so, you know, they have Robinson at one guard, a tackle, Taylor at the other. Those are investment players. So on offense, there's there's a lot of tools there. Now, the biggest key is who is the quarterback, okay? Lawrence is a guy who has immense talent. I mean, he has physical tools, you know, similar to Josh Allen. Now, that'll sound heretical, but he's huge. 
He can throw it a mile. He can run it a mile. This is a guy with immense talent. This is a guy, though, at this stage in his career, has those up and downs. Now, against us, the best game of his career, threw for 72%. Uh, he, he was 8 for 16 on third down. Uh, he had 111 passer rating, 23 of 32. I mean, he was two touchdown passes. He was tremendous. There's no question about it. Now, he's capable of those things, but he's also capable of inconsistencies. He's a, he's a guy who comes out of the college spread offense. He wasn't asked to do a bunch of reading and true drop back passing. He's more of a zone read bootleg guy. And so that's the part of his game that is underdeveloped and gets him in trouble. Okay, in terms of the must when you look at him, Number one, to me, you've got to be disciplined and you have to stop those two runners. You've got to keep disciplined all the way because both those guys, if you lose an edge, they can pop it to the outside and go. Robinson is a slasher. You know, he, he had six-yard average last week. Uh, Etienne uh, had 11-yard average when they carried the football. So, I mean, these are two really good backs. If they get running the ball – you know, just like last week, it, it, it will take it takes pressure away from uh, off the quarterback and the offensive line. Uh, another guy to be really alert for, and this guy turned around the first game last year. Thank goodness we held on and won it, but we were starting to dominate the game. And if you remember, Agnew came in number thirty-nine. They ran him on a sweep, and he ran like sixty yards for a touchdown. It was a long run for a touchdown. So. You have to be alert when Agnew is in the game for gadgets, okay? Quick screens, reverses, plays that he can come back in the backfield and run. He's kind of a he's kind of a hybrid, half a wide out, half a running back. But again, you want to stop that running game cold. I think if if we can get this team into a one-dimensional game, I think all their awards from the quarterback to the offensive line will will come up, will come out right away. Number 2, and this is really critical. There's two things really critical in this game, and I didn't get into the defensive negatives, but I'm going to hit just a couple of them to make sure that we have them fixed. One, we have not been a good team against bootleg quarterbacks, boot quarterbacks who can fake it and get out on the edge. And then we have – this was disgraceful last week. The two touchdown passes to Howard, we have to fix that seam coverage. When you're in three deep, you have to have somebody that either runs with the seam underneath or reroutes the seam. You cannot let this happen. And I warned them it happened against Tampa, and you got to make sure that's fixed. But the, So the first thing, coming all the way back on that, the second must is you have to set the edge on this kid. You don't want to let him get out. They're going to threaten you with that bootleg right off the bat. They're going to come out hard on a boot eight to his right or boot nine to his left and they come out hard with it, and he will throw the crossing patterns, he'll throw the outcut to play side, but if you don't defend him, he's a kid that can run for 30 yards, not for five and step out of bounds. He can go, and he will take it down in there. And the other reason, it's not just stopping that play. You don't want to let him get out there and gain confidence because he's very comfortable out on the edge. That's what he did in college. He ran those zone reads. He ran those bootlegs. He ran those rollouts. And he is really comfortable. And if you don't deny that early in the game, then he builds confidence like he did 
in that game last year, and then everything he does gets better. So I can't emphasize setting the edge. If we have to bring five early and literally set it, that's fine with me. But I don't want this kid to get any confidence because he, um, you know, because he can get out on the edge. Now, once we do that, I mean, he his inconsistencies will come out, and he can. He, I've seen him. I saw him unravel last week when they had the lead. He threw a terrible interception. I mean, I think if you, if you, again, if you keep him in the pocket and pressure him inside on their, what I, I'm going to talk about that in a minute on their offensive line. I think that he gets that deer in the headlight look. He can get confused. I don't think he's processed the NFL game yet, even now, and I think he'll give the ball away. But again, it all starts with closing his edges and cutting his legs off. Make him be a true NFL quarterback for four quarters, and I think we'll be okay. Number three, <clears throat> these receivers are what they are is basically they're all possession guys. They're all very good route runners. They're real solid NFL receivers with good hands. They can finish plays. They can run routes. None of them are burners, okay? None of them are burners. So to me, what we want to do is we want to really close these guys down. We want to really – I like a lot of press coverage. I want to play sticky on these guys. I don't want to get them air. I don't want to play scared. If you play scared and play a lot of soft zones, they're going to find those spots in there, and they're going to catch the football. You know, and again, they use them all. It's, it's, it's pretty balanced right now. Um, you know, I, Marvin Jones had six, and, and uh, uh, Zay Jones, I think, had six, and then, and then uh, Kirk had four or something like that. But they had 16 catches between them. But, again, crowd them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to blitz and press and make it really, really tough on those guys. I think at the end of the day, smother these receivers. Don't let them get going. And then I think number four is you got to selectively and creatively attack the line of scrimmage. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't be afraid of a lot of five-man rush here because, again, you get edge setters and then you don't give up any rush lanes inside to the runner. The other thing I like is I want to create the one-on-ones inside. They are decent at tackle, although I think Robinson, he had a lot of trouble at left tackle last week Mm -hmm. with movement. If you start up and come in on him, he's always had trouble with athleticism. So Ngakwe has got to get some moves going this week, start him up, come back under. On the other side, you just have to relentlessly work on Taylor. Taylor's a talent. He was a high draft pick but he gets lazy feet late in the down. And so Quiddy's a good matchup for him because Quiddy is relentless and you just have to keep coming. But that's the highlight of their team. Where I think they really struggle is inside. And it doesn't matter whether it's Barch or Shatley. It's going to be one of the two of them. They go back and forth at left guard. But that is their number one weakness. Get Buckner on on him. You know, let's let's be creative in the in that front with some rush plan and get Buckner on a mismatch there. I think Fortner is going to be a good center, but he's struggling because of inexperience. He's only in his second game. And then Scherf is a better run blocker. He's a road grading run blocker, but he struggles with movement. So again, I wouldn't be afraid to bring five, set the edges on the outside, and then twist and turn those inside three. And I think you'll be able to get after this quarterback mm-hmm. and force him into interceptions. You can, 
You can the biggest thing here is control first down, force them into one dimensional second and long, third and long. I think you'll get the turnovers. Remember, they were thirty second in oh, turnover yeah. differential a year ago. <laughs> right. And we have to we, we have to make them fulfill that number. Yeah, and Trevor Lawrence led the NFL, or at least tied for dead last in the NFL in interceptions thrown last year with 17 of them. That's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football, and let's talk about the Jaguars now on defense. They've got a new coordinator on that side of the ball as well, Mike Caldwell, someone that you know very well, former Buccaneers linebacker coach. Um, That unit was unspectacular last season. They were mediocre in defending the run and the pass. They gave up 67 big plays over 20 yards. As you said, they were minus 20 in the turnover margin. They only had nine takeaways on defense all season. Both of those figures were dead last in the NFL. However, if you look at them personally or individually, they've got guys that can wreck the game. Josh Allen sacked the Colts twice last year. He has 20 and a half sacks for his career since 2019. Trayvon Walker, the first pick in the draft out of Georgia, had a sack, a pick, and a tackle for loss against the Commanders last year in his first ever game. Linebacker Foye Olakun led the NFL in tackles with 192 of them last season. He also had three picks. And also, two, the back end and that secondary, it's what I'm calling, again, deceptively talented with Shaquille Griffin, Tyson Campbell, Andre Sisco, and Rayshon Jenkins. Rick, give us the must for the Colts' offense to get off to a good start and beat this revamped Jaguars defense. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, that was a good rundown on this team. Mike Caldwell, uh, who worked with Peterson in Philadelphia, as you said, was the assistant to Todd Bowles. Uh, in Tampa, so he has a real, real background. Uh, he actually played for me in 94-95 as a young Will linebacker uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Mike is a real <clears throat> smart guy, and he really has them flying around. If you look at them play defense, they are really flying around. And you're right. This is a team that is assembling, and it, it, the system works. When you when you have you know poor records, you end up drafting really high, and if you're smart with what you do, which they have been, you're going to assemble some talent. There's no question about it. And believe it or not, despite those terrible statistics, they have played good up front against us last year. They played extremely well up front. They handled us in a lot of situations last week and that last year. And that's the, you know that scares me a little bit in that regard. And I think when you when you look at their front, you're exactly right. Allen is a premier Sam backer. He's a con, he's a, he's kind of a throwback 34 guy. He can play. He can stand up and play that Sam tough backer. He can put his hand in the dirt and rush on the edge. And again, he sacked us a year ago. He was a thorn in our side. And then they go out and draft Walker, number one, the pick in the draft. And, you know, he's brought great athleticism from Georgia. He can rush on the outside. They can kick him in. You're exactly right. Great debut, sack, tackle for loss, and interception. All the, You know, that's a hat trick in his first ball game. And then guys that I think are kind of deceptively good is Smoot when they get on third and long, and he goes in and plays tackle. And now they've taken Arlen Key, who was a bust at defensive end, and they've kind of moved him into the tackle position when they get in those third down deals. And so it's a pretty presentable rush, which I'm going to get into here in a minute. At good linebackers, like you said, uh, uh, Lacuna was the leading tackler. 
you know, they drafted Lloyd really high second pick. He can go. Moomin can go. They're good there. And you're exactly right. It is an underrated secondary with two pretty good corners, um, you know, in, in Campbell and Griffin. Uh, Williams is okay. I think he's just okay at the nickel. And then their safeties are very tough. I think they're vulnerable inside to the pass, but they're very, very tough. Now, philosophically, what they do, and this is important to know because I think it dictates how you attack them, if you're in your base personnel and they're in their basic defense, okay, non-nickel defense, you're going to see a lot of what we call double sync, and they did that a year ago. Caldwell loves it. And when we say double sync fans, what we mean is two guys on the edge, and that is that will be Walker and that will be Allen. And then the big three inside, which is Hamilton, Fadakuzi, and Robertson Harris, who played really well against us last year, and then the two linebackers. And what they do is they cover your guards and centers, and what that does is that freezes everybody and lets those linebackers run to the ball. Now, you void coverage because those two guys up front that are on the outside are either rushing or they're dropping from tough spots. So they're vulnerable to the fast, but they're very, very hard to run on. And then if you go nickel, then Williams comes in the game. They'll keep those guys if it's if it's a first down. But if third down, they bring in what I call the NASCAR package, which is really for them four defensive ends. And then it's a little bit different look. And Mike really he he really played vanilla in the summer. I mean, I the, the coverage scheme was really really simple, but they really expanded it in the opener. I mean, there was a lot more sophistication in the coverage if they get to second and third down where they get some advantages, no question about it. But to me, okay, here are the must. You know, I honest to God, <clears throat> with Jonathan, of course, you know, we always have to we always have to be able to run the football. I mean, he is our bell cow. He is a sensational player. And there's a couple ways to run it against them. I think when they're in their over defense, which is primarily their nickel, okay, then you want to run at that open side bubble, just like most people do. You want to pound it right in there in the bubble, right at those linebackers. That's the vulnerability. When they're in their double sink, which is in our regular stuff, then you have to beat that off tackle directly. It's hard to run inside because they cover anybody, and it's not easy to run outside because they free the linebackers up. So what you want to do is you want to stab right in the C-gap with powers and leads and counter trays and get right up in there in that hole. Now, my thinking is if I'm playing this game on offense, I'm going to play them what I call wrong. What do I mean by play wrong? If we're in base, okay, when we're in base, when we have our tight ends in the game, I really want to be throwing the football. I want to make it tough for those outside backers to get out in their coverage. They'll play a lot of uh, one free or they'll play a three without a dropper, a fire zone three. So they're really vulnerable to the pass. The play pass will suck up seven. Uh, on the outside, it's almost always one-on-one uh, -on, -one on first down. And even though I respect the corners, I think you have to go on them. You know, Dotson beat Campbell a couple times. Uh, you know, they beat Griffin a couple times in the Washington game. So I think when, if you, when you go with your regular personnel, I think that's really where you want to throw the rock on first down. 
And then when you go in your nickel, when they've got their nickel out there and they're expecting pass and they're rushing the passer, that's when you want to run it. That's what I, that's what I mean by, by play them wrong. And you may really emphasize nickel this week, three wide receivers, or at least times in the game with Jonathan, because if they go nickel, they really reduce the amount of heavy front they play. So I think you got to bang away. You've got to make that running game go. You've got to dominate the front. But I think you have to be smart. <clears throat> and versus that double sink, don't be, don't be stubborn. Now, again, number two, I think on those early downs is where you have to gash them with the play action because, again, they're thinking run. They've got to stop Jonathan. They've got to fire up there. They've got to get linebackers and safeties involved. There's going to be areas behind them. And that's where we have to also challenge the corners. And I'm going to go back to this because I think in the long run, we we didn't do it Sunday. We're going to have to challenge those corners on the outside. Or what's going to happen is we're going to get in this routine, and it's sometimes successful. But if you end up playing that game just so tight and never threatening that outside, it will catch up with you against smart coordinators and so forth and so on. There's also some things to do smart wise uh, when you're in your when they're in their base defense use a lot of slot formation two receivers together. Now why do I say that? Because if they're in man coverage, what happens? The corners have to come over and the corners will show you man versus zone. So if you're going to be in your two tight end sets, get in your two tight end sets with a slot so that Matt knows ahead of time he'll have a good idea whether he's looking at man or zone. And then when you're in nickel and you're in three wide receivers, motion the slot across early and let him reset. And if that nickel goes with him, he's going to tell you something. So those are just two things to give Matt a good pre-snap look when he's checking with Mm me. Number three, we've got to really protect it. The best thing to do, you know, I said it last week, I say it every week, but this is really critical, is try to keep these guys out of that NASCAR package. And you do that by moving the ball yeah. and sticking them on first and second down. But now let's say we get behind an account, really got to do a great job of protection. We might even keep people in a little bit at times because you're going to be looking at Allen on one side. You're going to be looking at Walker on the other side. You're going to be looking at Smoot at tackle. And you're going to be looking at Key in there. And sometimes Chason will spell one of those guys. Matt, every one of those guys is, is a is a, a unique high draft pick. I mean, Key Key was an end who failed, but now at tackle he looks totally different. Right. So the protection is going to we're going to be taxed much more in this ball game. Last week it was Jerry Hughes and nobody. This week they've got guys that can challenge you. So you have to do a really good job. You know, Braden Smith has to improve from last week. I thought overall the protection wasn't bad and. You know, I mean, I think Frank was smart. He used uh, Ryman some in the game. He said he was going to do that. He did that. I thought Pryor held up pretty well. But everybody's going to get a stress package here if we be- get behind in the can- count. And then, of course, anticipate blitzes. We have had trouble with that second wave, and that's where Lloyd is really good, the rookie out of Utah. He will come late, and, and he is very dangerous. And then I think, you know, number four, it's kind of a general thing, but it's 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 start fast. Let's just let's constantly stay ahead in the count and don't don't give them a physical advantage. If you get behind in the count, they get their best, fastest personnel in the game. But number two, don't give them a mental advantage. The biggest thing that we did with the Texans Sunday 
is by not finishing them off early, we gave right. them that, that, that hang-on-the-vine mentality yep. Yep. until they finally ran out of gas. At the end of seven innings, they were done. But that's what happens, and that's what happened in Game 17 last year. They go down and score right away. They're high-fiving it. Hey, we're hit. hey, we're not going home. We're a great team here. And you you have to get that mentality, keep them off balance, and, and just get after them with all you have, get them on their heels, you know, mix it up on first down so that you're not predictable, and just rip the hell out of them. All right, Rick Venturi on the blueprints, O and D, to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars here on Inside Football with RV. To close out, Rick, obviously we, we've talked about it. The Colts can play so much better executional-wise. It left a lot of points on the field in game one, but it is only one game, and, and one game does not a season make, and now it's another huge AFC South game, and the schedule is front-loaded with AFC South games, which means you've got to get these when you can, knowing there's not a lot of margin for error towards the back end of the season after Halloween. The Colts have to get this one, Rick, while they hopefully improve greatly from week one to week two and make that big jump that teams typically make from game one to game two. Yeah, this is, you know, you live in this league, you you live in one-week capsules, and it's got to be total focus. This has been a nemesis. The hell with that. Let's fix that versus the Jags. You just kind of mentioned that there's an old adage in football that I totally believe exists is that you generally make more improvement between game one and game two than the rest of the season combined. And I think because of the way the games change, lack of offseason, lack of heavy contact, very little preseason play, I think, and I said this a million times in the preseason, we're not going to know about this team till we play a really game. We play a game for 60 minutes. Well, hell, we played one for 70 minutes. But what it does is it proves to you what you have to work on, what are your flaws, what are your baselines, and normally you make a gigantic improvement. And for us, that has to be a reality. Just remember this. The tie was good in this sense. A loss would have been catastrophic. A win this week in Jacksonville, and you control the South again. The biggest thing is play with energy and confidence. Don't go in there worried about it. It just seems to me like sometimes when we go into a must game against a perceived lesser opponent, I don't know if it's playing tight, but we don't seem to play with that confidence and flow early in the game. Let's get going. The hell with all that. Put that behind us. Don't let them breathe. Dominate first down on both sides of the ball. They're better when they can get specialized people in the game or they're dealing with third and two. Make sure that we win that first down. This is our time to play to our potential. The time is now. The time is absolutely now. We dodged a bullet because nobody won in the South last week. Right. So now we're starting the season again in Jacksonville. Make it count. Yep, no question. Everybody gets a mulligan, winless in the AFC South going into week number two across the board. Rick Venturi, inside football, great breakdown on the Jaguars. And, Rick, bring that sunscreen, man. You know all about that Florida sun now. All right, let's go. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's you know that's something that you have to overcome as well. But right now it's just, you know, really more than our opponent, more than anything else. We, you said it. You started this program off with it is execute. Yep. It's about the Colts. The Colts have to do what the Colts can do. No question. Rick Venturi, as always. 
Appreciate the time and the insight. Have a great rest of the week, Rick, and talk to you on Saturday on the plane ride down there. But get your thoughts back on the pregame huddle and then, of course, on countdown to kickoff on the Colts uh, radio network on Sunday. And I can't wait for it, man. Appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Really enjoyed last Sunday. We got our we got our money's worth. We got not only four quarters, we got 70 minutes. So we got our skills honed up, I think, for the season. You got it, man. Get those vocal cords ready. Rick Venturi <laughs> on Inside Football again this week. And for the latest on the Colts, check it out, Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and subscribe to everything on the Colts Audio Network all year long for podcasts, radio shows. I'm Matt Taylor. We'll be back next week breaking down the Chiefs in week three, the home opener for the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Until then, have a great week, great weekend, and thanks for listening to Inside Football here on the Colts Audio Network.